and uh, we're certainly glad to have you worshiping with us today. Before we get into the text, I want to just preface my comments with uh, a couple of comments that relate to things that maybe you are here last week or maybe not, didn't hear. But in any case, uh, just for better clarity's sake, we're so thankful to have Justin up here. Justin comes through about once a month. He's kind of a consultant to help us understand how we can improve our worship and partners together with Ron and others of us on the team and so grateful for the opportunity to learn how can we improve in worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more about what worship is at Calvary Church, I send out an email. I send out an email every week, and this week's email was all about worship. And I encourage you to take a look at that. And, and I recognize that in the Twitter world of today, it is more than 140 characters. So it's going to require, you know, a page and a half. And so I know sometimes it's hard for me when I see more than a page. I'm like, oh, do I want to bother? And, but I encourage you to take a look at that as it really lays, I believe, some groundwork for a biblical understanding of what worship is all about. When we gather together on Sunday, it helps us to kind of grasp that. Ron continues to be our worship pastor, in case there's any confusion on that, and we're so thankful for that. Also, I wanted to add that last week I talked about the fact that uh, uh, I'm going to continue on here because there have been rumors that I'm uh, either fired or quitting or retiring, and uh, none of those things are true. And so I just spoke to that briefly, but uh, as, as accurately as I tried to say that, it was incomplete. And the rest of the story is that, yes, I'm continuing on here, but as I've said over the last uh, year or so, we are still in a succession plan. It's always good to have in mind, God, what is the next phase or season of life of ministry at Calvary Church? And so we're considering what that would look like. And so when that succession plan is complete, we'll reveal it to you. But that would mean that there would be a change in my role. But I would continue to have the privilege to be able to serve together and uh, do all that God has called me and all of us to do. So look forward to that. We'll be sharing more about that in the coming months. Galatians chapter 5 is an important passage. It goes to the core of who we are and what we're all about. We all want to have victory over the things that challenge us. Let me read the text that Paul has given to us. As we go through the book of Galatians, it's all about finding this kind of freedom that God wants for us. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, this is an amazing section where it goes to the core and the heart of why our lives can be difficult. He says in verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. And then he lists some of them. For example, he says, immorality impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envies, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these that he could add to the list. And then he has this really awesome warning for you and for me, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who are into that aren't going to heaven. And that's pretty black and white, and that's pretty stark. And so we want to process that and work that through. And he wants us to understand that these are serious matters. So it goes to the core. We are in a battle. 
and there is a war that is underway, and there is an acknowledgement of that battle. So the first thing that I need for us to understand that I want to understand better is this is a battle. There is a spiritual war. There is opposition going back to the verses 16 and 17. Here's what Paul is telling us as the opposition is. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are in opposition to one another. They're battling who I want to be, so that you do not do the things that you please. We are in this war-like condition of trying to walk with Jesus Christ. Now, those who don't walk with Christ, there's no opposition. It's free flow. We just do whatever our flesh desires for us to do. But for those of us who are committed to Christ, He is my Savior. I love the old rugged cross. He died for me, and I'm so thankful that I've laid my trophies down, and it's all about Him. If that's my desire, then my flesh is going to battle anything that the Spirit of God wants to do in my life. And so this is the reality that a lot of us live in. And I'm 66, and I'm not sure I'm conquering the deeds of the flesh all that much more than maybe 20 or 30 years ago. Because some of the areas that we're going to talk about are areas that are realistic challenges that we have when it gets into envying, jealousy, factions, dissension. These are things that we live in. We battle those. We know people battling those things. Whether it's in a marriage or a parenting relationship, they're struggles. So why is it so hard? Because we are dealing with a fleshly desire. This body is not redeemed. And how many of you would say, yes, amen to that, Dave. Your body is not redeemed. Thank you, Kristen. Appreciate that. Thanks for the encouragement. Well, indeed, this body is not redeemed. Your body, take it by faith, is not redeemed either. My heart, my soul has been redeemed completely by Jesus Christ. My soul is ready to enter into the heavenlies of where Christ is. My mind is constantly being transformed by the Word of God. Hopefully I think thoughts that are more holy and more God-honoring regularly, have greater wisdom and knowledge over time. So my heart, my soul is changed. My mind is changing. But my body has not been helped at all, except to the disciplines of healthy eating and dieting. My body is obese, according to Kaiser. And so the reality is, it's going to be a constant battle for my body to do everything that I want my body to do. And so my body has these fleshly desires that constantly come out, and the Spirit of God that is in me is battling against those fleshly desires as the fleshly desires continue to push against the Spirit. And so this is the opposition that Paul is talking about. It's not easy. Why is it hard? Here's two reasons why. Because we were born in sin. King David, when he wrote Psalm 51, he said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. When I was in my mother's womb, he says, I was a sinful person. I had a sin nature. All of us who are parents, if your kids are over three, you know you never had to teach them how to do a temper tantrum. You didn't have to teach them the word no. You didn't have to train them up how to be rebellious. These things just came out of their nature. And except for the good parenting skills of us, they will continue to live that way. 
So there is a sin nature that is there. And even when you become a believer in Jesus, that sin nature is still there. It is the flesh. It is wishing to do the wrong thing, not the thing I please. So God, he wants to give us victory over that. And what happens is that our flesh, left to itself, allows sin to grow. I've used this verse a number of times. I love this passage. I'll show you it in another phrase, in another way. For we also were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice, envy, hateful, hating one another. (laughs) I mean, that's a terrible resume. But Paul says that's kind of where we used to live. And outside of Jesus Christ, those are the things that naturally will flow, and there is no opposition unless the Spirit of God is there. Now, here is how sin grows. If you don't take purposeful action, like a two-year-old with a temper tantrum, and try to train them up the way they should go, uh, things will continue to proceed in sinful ways. We once were this way, and here are these four words that I believe show a progression of sin outside of the restraint of God's Spirit. For example, we begin by being foolish. The word foolish there means simply, I didn't know that that sort of behavior was wrong. For a two-year-old to say, you know, I didn't, oh, oh, thanks, Mom and Dad. I didn't know it was wrong to have a temper tantrum in the aisle way of Albertsons. Oh, that, that, that's helpful for me to know that, and so I, I will try never to do it again. Well, there's a lot that we don't know, including some of our adult behavior that we should not have done. And then there's the disobedience. So we learn what is wrong, we know what's wrong, and man, we still do it anyways. I've had people commit all kinds of awful sins. They knew it was wrong, and yet they do it anyways. Outburst of anger that Paul lists there. We know it's wrong, but we do it anyways because the flesh drives us to that. So there's a disobedience, and then it goes to deception. So I rationalize what is wrong so I don't feel guilty about it. It's this, this Greek word that has this idea of just evolving and revolving around something that I think is now okay, and I rationalize it in my mind. I had a woman come up to me and say, I have an anger problem, but that's just the way I am. And she somehow has rationalized that her anger expressions to her family, to her husband, are just normal. And she had reasons that were justified, and so she has deceived herself into rationalizing a disobedience that at once was just foolish, but now it's disobedient, and now it's just deception, and the more she does it and the more we do it, I become enslaved. And when I become enslaved, the whole idea of enslavery is that I becomes normalized. It feels like this is who I am. This is the way I live. This is the way God has made me. And this normalization of sin is where what happens before Christ, left to our own devices, we go through this cycle, and that's why we find that there are a lot of people out there constantly doing bad things. They don't feel guilty about it. They've rationalized it. They're enslaved to it, and we just want to break them out of it. And Paul says, you used to be that way, but my flesh still wants to move in this direction. My flesh still wants to devolve down to this level of normalizing bad behavior. So this is the battle. And the Spirit says no. My flesh says yes. And we think that we can get over it. Now here's a a funny thing. Joy reminded me of our niece, one of our nieces. When she was about three years old, 
her mother was wanting to walk across the street. And so mom said to the niece, you hold my hand because it's dangerous and I don't want you to run off. I want to make sure you safely, you and I safely get across the street. So hold my hand. And she said, no. You must hold my hand or we can't cross the street. No, I don't want to hold your hand. So there was this sin nature that was coming out. And she refused to hold her mom's hand. And finally the niece said this, I'll hold my own hand and then we can cross the street. Sometimes there's this mindset that I don't need to hold God's hand. I, I just hold my own hand and I'll just, I'll just be good enough. I'll work harder. I'll overcome it in my own strength. I'll just hold on to myself, believe in myself, and somehow I will have victory over that. Well, Paul says, man, you, you can't do that. You can't hold your own hand and get over this. Because these things are like a magnet that's going to pull you in every time. It's a sinful gravitational pull. And so he says, I want to do something about it. I want you to experience this new birth where the Spirit of God comes. And he says this to us. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. And then he repeats it. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. To walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, the Spirit of God, when you become a believer, He comes into our hearts and He gives us capacity that we otherwise would not have. To walk by the Spirit is a beautiful metaphor of the sense of day by day, steady as it goes, faithfulness, consistency, of moving forward in a progressive way of becoming more like Jesus Christ where the Spirit of God, He doesn't say run, He doesn't say jump, He doesn't say leap and hope by faith. He just says every day, every day you get up, you walk by the Spirit of God. How do you walk by the Spirit of God? There's a lot of things. Paul didn't include it, but I included some other things Paul has said on the back of the outline that you hopefully got in your bulletin. I give you at least four things that are essential, and I don't have time to go into them, but I'll mention them quickly. Number one, to walk by the Spirit means I confess every sin that is in my life because my sin grieves and quenches the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 4.30, 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Secondly, I walk by the Spirit as I spend time every single day reading reflecting and applying God's Word. I want my mind and my heart to be clothed with the Word of Christ. I want the Word of Christ to come and to help train me in righteousness. And the more the Word of God is in my mind, the more my mind changes and the more my body is in submission to that change by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, I want to learn more about Jesus. How did Jesus respond to those situations? How did Jesus love people that are unlovable? How did Jesus overcome temptation? Matthew chapter 4, one of the biggest, greatest temptations in mankind's history. Jesus overcame them. How did he do it? And then fourthly, faithfully connect with the community of Christ. Hebrews 10 tells us, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, but stimulate one another to love and good deeds. These are the core essentials, the four simplest ways with the Spirit of God, He is filling me, He is controlling me, and I'm being led by Him. And that's what God wants. Titus, continuing on with Titus chapter 3. Yep, we just lost our... Let me read Titus chapter 3 while they fire up the, the system once again. Um, oh, thank you. We're back up. 
Titus 3, 4 through 7 says, But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, and then Paul throws this in by the Spirit of God, by the washing and regeneration, the renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is so core to us. That the Spirit of God has caused new life. He regenerated us. He renews us. It's been poured out upon us. And God says, I want you to overcome whatever it is that's calling you down. Whatever is breaking up the marriage, ruining the friendship, destroying your capacity to have healthy relationships. Whatever it is that's eating away in your own heart that is causing all these significant problems. I want the Spirit of God to renew you in that area. But your flesh is going to fight it. It's going to battle it. Now... Let me illustrate it, recognizing that this illustration is filled with flaws and limitations, so you can't carry them to an extreme, but at least it'll help this to be more memorable. Here we go. I have two vehicles that I like to ride. This is my bicycle. It's a Trek. And this is my motorcycle. It's a Harley. When I ride my bicycle, where does all the power come from? Yeah, my fleshly, obese body. That's where it all comes from. And this thing won't move forward unless I'm pedaling like crazy. And so everything that comes out of the movement forward of this is simply human effort alone. The harder I pedal, the faster I'll go. But there's always a limit as to how fast I can go. Now the reality is, here's the reality. There are some people that I'm faster than on this bike. Most people not. Most people are faster than me. The Tour de France is going on. If you watch that, I enjoyed it this last couple of weeks. Today's the last day. These guys in the Tour de France, they're amazing. I ride on Santiago Canyon Road, and I'm pedaling as fast as I can, and I got people flying by me like I'm standing still. I think, what's the deal? I'm working as hard as they are, but they're going faster than me. So my point is this. When I talk about us living in the flesh by our own human strength, I'm not saying that there aren't good people doing good things with the fleshly capacity that they have to do good things. Some people are born with brilliant minds, great athletic skills, and in their own strength they can do well. Just like there are people that are ride twice as fast as I can ride on my bike. But it's all human effort. It's all human capacity. It's all human outcome. And so there is this life that, that is realistic and where the world, most of the world lives there. And they're doing good things with the fleshly capacity that they have. On the other hand, we have a Harley. 900 pounds of steel machine. Where does all the power come from? 103 engine right there. Now, when I ride the Harley, there are rules of the road. I better know how to work the, the, sh the, the clutch, the gas, the brakes. I better know how to do a quick U-turn if need be. I better know how to maneuver through a wet street. There are rules and there are all kinds of devices right up in here that I know how to work with different switches and different applications. 
And so there are rules as to how to ride a motorcycle. And if you don't follow the rules, you'll hurt yourself. Now, when I ride that, I want to ride by the rules of the road and the manual that tells me how to operate this thing. But I want to be obedient to those rules. But the only power that makes me go forward is this thing called an engine. And it moves me forward. The Spirit of God comes into my life. I live by the rules that God has given to me in His Word. But it's the Spirit that gives me capacity to move forward. It's not exhaustion because I'm doing it my way, holding it onto my own hands, to somehow hope it works out that this marriage and this relationship and this internal strife in my soul, that somehow I hold onto myself and it'll work out. No, the Spirit of God comes in and He gives me capacity to move forward, to move beyond, to overcome, to have the victory. That's what God wants. You might say, in some way, that riding a motorcycle is the Spirit-led life. I said you might say that. I didn't say you would. Obviously, some wouldn't. But this is the reality. If it's an illustration breaks down over, over extension of the thought. But the whole idea that somehow I can do good things in my flesh, that's true. But it's built upon exhaustion and manual labor only. And it's limited. You can only go so far. You move over to the power of the Spirit and suddenly... You're moving in realms at speeds and accomplishments, covering territory that you never thought you could. And God wants that to be the way we live our lives. We need to live that way by identifying those specific area attacks that are going to slow us down. Now let me show you what happens. I love our staff here. They're so creative, and that's why you see all these gears and creations here for VBS coming up. Also working with our uh, preschoolers, is Jane, Mary Jane Edwards. I want to show you an illustration that she uses to teach preschoolers. Well, I appreciate learning what she teaches to preschoolers because even I can understand what is being taught to preschoolers. What happens in life? Let's take these magnets here. If you look on the screen up there, is that sometimes we want to get close. And this is, let's say this is God down here. So God is the foundation upon which we want to build our lives. Let's say this is us up here. We're the blue, green, and orange of life. And we want to get close, and yet every time we attempt to get close, there's this battle. There's this opposition. Why do I not feel close to God? Why does God seem so distant from me? And the problem is we try to get close like these magnets, and it just feels like God's pushing me away. Or it may be I'm the problem and I'm pushing myself away from God because I don't like the way God laid down the rules for me to live. So I rebel. But there's some kind of opposition going on. And what happens, and what Mary Jane tells these kids, is that we need to turn ourselves. We turn, and then as you all know, you are able to connect with God. For us, turning from sin to God is known by a word. What is that word? What? Okay, I'm being unclear. Excuse me. Let me clarify. When you turn from sin, you turn to God. We have a word for that. Repentance. Repentance. 
And so God says, I invite you into this world so you identify and turn from, repent from, remove from, so that you can once again be connected to who I am and what I desire for you. So Paul gives us this whole list here of sins. There's sexual sins, there's religious sins, and there's relational sins. And sometimes we feel like, I am so inadequate, I'll never overcome all those. I never have what it takes. God, can you really use me? Don't you realize how bad I am? And we have this guilt complex that sort of weighs us down. Well, let me help think about that for just a moment. Speaking of my bicycle, as I was a few moments ago, here's another bicycle story. A week ago yesterday, uh, I was riding out to Cook's Corner, which is a, a Harley biker bar, and I never go there because it's an awful place to go. Uh, but uh, <laughs> no, I occasionally will have a Diet Coke there. And so I rode out there and was riding back. And so if you've ever been to Cook's Corner out San Diego, it's about a 20-mile drive out San Diego Canyon Road. And coming back, it's a, it's a nice little hill. It's an incline that you've got to go up to get back to Tustin, or where I'm coming to. And so I'm riding my bike up that hill, and there's a couple of guys in front of me. And so I see I'm approaching them and getting closer, getting closer, and I'm alongside them. And often you'll say, hey, how you doing? Good morning. Yeah, great. Good to see you. Boom. So I just keep on going. And they're riding rather slow. So I'm just about to the, the top of that hill, and those two guys come alongside me. And they say, hey, it's us again. Oh, hi, yeah, well, well, good to see you. And he said, when you rode by us, you inspired us. And so they picked up the pace and went faster. And I said to them, you better raise your bar, buddy, because that's a pretty low bar to achieve. That's true, because I'm out there, I'm like the third slowest group of riders that are riding out San Diego Canyon Road. This guy's flying by me. So here's my point. And what, as I thought about that, that God, this is good, because I'm not the fastest rider out there. I'm not the best rider out there. But in one moment, I rode by another person, and he was honest enough to say, you inspired us. Whoa, I inspired somebody. Wow. Me, a lousy bike rider, inspired somebody else? That's incredible. So here's my point. You and I can live a godly, spirit-led life, and you don't have to be Jesus. You don't have to say, I haven't sinned in 10 years. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all dialed in. You don't have to have it all figured out. You can be like me in the lower third of bicycle riders who on occasion live a life that is honoring to God, that inspires someone else to say, I want to catch up and I want to go even faster than you. That we live a life that is inspiring to others, even in our imperfections, even in our inadequacies, even though we're in battling opposition. And if you knew my mind, you knew my thoughts, the opposition that goes on, the raging war in my mind, my heart, you would say, I never want to be inspired by you. But we have these moments in time where the Spirit of God overcomes. And I encourage us as a congregation that we live a life that is so Spirit-led, not perfect, we aim for perfection, but we're not going to get there. This flesh is always going to battle us. But don't let that get you down. 
Because it doesn't take much to sometimes just inspire someone else to achieve greater things for God by the Holy Spirit who mortars them forward. So God says, take a look at these sins and find out, are these areas that you need to turn from? Because, as one great theologian once said, you never find in sin what you enter sin to find. Man, you think, oh, if I only could have this, that, or the other thing, or this laundry list of sins, and somehow I think that's a good thing. I think that's a great thing. Yeah, I'm going to go out and get drunk. Yeah, let's just have a party out there. That's so wonderful. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. You're not going to find in sin what you enter sin to find. It's not going to be wonderful. And so Paul gives us this laundry list of sexual sins. We think somehow, oh, if I get involved in this world, uh, it'll be so pleasurable, so great, and yet it corrupts, it corrodes, it destroys. So Paul says, I don't want you to have these going on. He says, immorality is all illicit sexual relationships. Impurity is a, a broad term for immoral sex, that thought, deed, and word. And then there is sensuality. Sensuality is a term that is used in 2 Peter 2, 6, and 7. Sensuality in, two, in 2 Peter 2, 6, and 7 is actually used as Sodom and Gomorrah. These people that would flaunt their sexual perversion to destroy angels from God. God says, I don't want that. That's fleshly. These are all fleshly desires. If somehow I am involved in those things, I'm living by the flesh. I'm holding my own hand. I'm hoping for the best by doing my own thing, not the Spirit of God. Then there are religious attacks. There's idolatry. Most of us don't have a doll that we're worshiping in the living room somewhere, right? We don't have idols out there like they did in those days. So I paint the picture that in some way idolatry today is replacing Christ with his values with materialism and temporal values, where things, materialism is driving me to achieve and accomplish that as an end to itself. And God says not only that, but sorcery. The word sorcery is actually the Greek word pharmakia. We get the word pharmacy from it. The idea in those days is that they would take drugs to somehow feel better and religious as part of the religious formulism. And what happens to us, idolatry today the religious people that aren't filled with the Holy Spirit, it's sort of like, if, I don't know if you've ever ridden a motorcycle, but my motorcycle weighs 900 pounds. If I straddle my motorcycle without it running and try to walk forward moving 900 pounds, it's near impossible. And for some people, they're, they're straddling their religion with their own strength, but they've never ignited the engine of the Holy Spirit to move them forward. And they're struggling They're growing weary, and they say, this institutional church isn't for me because it's too hard. Because they've never been empowered, but they're trying to move this machine by their own strength, like my niece, holding their own hands. And then finally, there's relational attacks. It's interesting that there was three of sex sins, two of religious sins, ten of relational sins. Because frankly, from my experience of ministry, this is a lot more prevalent than those others are for most people. There's enmities where I'm hating somebody else. If you're hating somebody right now and you have strife with them, flesh. You're in the flesh. You're living there. There's jealousy where I resent what others are achieving because I can't have it. There's outburst of anger. If you're an angry person, you have outburst of that anger. And there's bitterness. There's anger. There's, there's this vengeance against someone. Flesh. That's what Paul says. Disputes, where there's a self-effort to create factions or divisions in the church, where I do my best to cause people to be divided up. That's all flesh. Paul says people doing that, these things, 
They're not going to heaven. That's pretty stark. We'll talk about that in a moment. And then the last half of that list is dissensions. When you stand apart from another person, this word literally, the Greek word literally means to remove myself from someone else and I have nothing to do with them. In the body of Christ, that's crisis. In the body of the church, we come together. We have fellowship with one another. We love one another. There's no dissension in the spirit-led life. Factions. This word factions, I put this word heresy on here because our English word heresy actually comes from this Greek word for factions. And the reason for that is because factions, according to Paul as he lists it there, factions are where I create a false narrative, a false belief, a rumor, a gossip. And I create out of that false belief system words and deeds that divide people up. And Paul says that's fleshly. When I'm doing things that are untrue and divide people up. There's envy, where I have displeasure against others' prosperity. There's drunkenness. Drunkenness today in the state of California is 0.08% alcohol. Doesn't mean you fall down drunk. It just simply means you've got more alcohol in your system. And uh, as Ephesians 5 says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled by the Holy Spirit. You can't have 0.08 alcohol in your system and be filled by the Holy Spirit at the same time. Otherwise, you're living according to the flesh. And then carousing is where my use of alcohol causes disruption to other people. So Paul gives us this warning. I forewarn you. He's done it twice. I told you before, I'll tell you again. Just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. What he's talking about are people who say, I'm going to be controlled by my spirit, by my flesh, I should say. And I'm only by my flesh. And people like Preacher Boy Dave here and no one else is going to tell me how to live my life. And if I've got dissensions, I've got factions, I've got heresy, I've got envy, and I've got jealousy, I've got sexual immorality, and I'm involved in that, and I'm doing that, and I'm doing it, and I don't care what anybody says because I'm enslaved, I'm deceived, I'm rationalizing, then God says, you're not part of the kingdom of heaven. You better get it right. You better change. You better turn like these and get close to who God is. And let God's Spirit oppose that, resist that, and even feel guilty about that if you need to. Because God's serious about this stuff. So we take it seriously. I'm not saying you lose your salvation, but He's saying you've never gotten to the point where the Spirit of God has fulfilled that salvation for you. And we want you to be an overcomer. We want you to have victory in these things. So he gives us this kind of hope in 1 Corinthians 6 where he says this about those things again. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Well, who are the unrighteous? He says fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, homosexuals, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, swindlers. They're not going to heaven. They won't inherit the kingdom of God. Twice he says it there. He says that over here. In, uh, in our passage of Galatians today. But this is the beautiful aside, the hope that we all have. And such were some of you. They were filled with all kinds of fleshly desires in that church, Corinthians. You used to be that way, but you're not. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. You used to be that way, but God changed you. Turn from it, he says. And such were some of you. 
It may be that such are some of us today. But God wants to make that past tense. If such are some of you, he says, I want it to be where such were some of you. So we're going to invite you to pray here in just a moment. Where you can invite God's spirit to come and say, God, resist this desire of the flesh. Give me victory over this flesh. Change my life. Turn me around. Help me to be empowered. I'm tired of the defeat. I'm tired of being overcome. I'm tired of the guilt. I'm tired of the factions. I want to overcome it. So we're going to invite you to do that. But before we do that, I want you to know that there are leaders in our church who would love to partner with you. And so I'm going to invite our elders to come up. We've had a change in the chairmanship this year. You voted on new elders over this last uh, couple of months. And so we have a new chairman and a new leadership in our elder board. And these are godly men who love Jesus, who love their families, who love Calvary Church, and would love to help us to grow in our faith. They are who I report to, and they are the leaders who shepherd the flock called Calvary Church. Norm Alexander here is the new chairman of our uh, elder board, and each year we have a new chairman come in or or retain the old one, as the case might be. But Norm happens to be the new chairman this year, and so I'd like for you to hear a little bit from Norm. So welcome. Well, thanks, Dave. Uh, It's a privilege to serve on the elder board, privilege to serve all of you. And uh, all of us here as elders, that's really what we do is we serve you. Just as much as many of you serve in the nursery or uh, perhaps security in the parking lot or even in VBS this week, we serve on on the elder board. The way Calvary is organized, the way it was founded, and the way the bylaws read today, you elect us as elders to be the leaders of the church. As Dave has often pointed out to us, the church's staff run, Dave and and all the people employed by the church, they run it on a day-to-day basis but the elders lead the church, and so that's what we're called to do. And so we very much, as a result, appreciate your prayers and ask you for them today and ongoing. We pray for you. We ask you to pray for us, specifically that we would be listening and hear God's voice and that we'd have the courage to obey it. So to hear from God and to obey God, that's what we'd ask you to pray for us for. All right, well, we'd like to pray for them. And in fact, I'm going to invite you, you, just send your hand out. Let's pray for these men. As they step into leadership role, sometimes it makes them even a bigger target to the enemy, and the opposition can grow. And so we want to see God be glorified by their godly leadership, spirit-led, wise and true, with integrity, biblically based, and they would help shepherd us as a congregation. So you extend your hand as I pray for them. Father God, I thank you for these men. I thank you for their willingness to serve, to be what Peter calls the shepherds, to be like the good shepherd, the great shepherd, Jesus Christ, who pastors us, and Lord, that you would help these men to pastor our congregation. Father, thank you for their wisdom. Thank you for their holiness. Thank you, Lord, for the strength of encouragement that comes from them. Thank you, Lord, for the accountability for all of us on staff. Thank you, Lord, for their prayers as they pray over the needs of our church. God, I thank you for all that you have done and will do this coming year. That, God, through their strength, their collective wisdom, the unity of this board, God, that we accomplish great things for you. But not because we're a little smarter than someone else, a little more clever than anyone else. But, God, as we're reminded because we're spirit-led 
and your spirit glorifies the Father and that, Jesus, you would be supreme and preeminent in all that we do and say. Draw us close to you, I pray. And thank you for these men that will help us along the way. And we pray your blessing upon them in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. All right, thank you. I'm going to invite the the men. Yes, let's thank them. Here's what I'd like for us to do. We have our stations up here, the communion, the bread, the cup. That symbolizes the body and the blood of Jesus. The offering buckets are up here. If you can give, we appreciate that as well. Helps to give us a free VBS this next week, for example. And so we're thankful for the contributions and your participation and communion and giving, but also for prayer. I'm going to invite the elders. Maybe they want to go over by the prayer points. We have these two prayer points that are over here. So as we begin to worship the Lord together, they can move over there. If you'd like for them to pray over you, they would love to do that. And uh, you don't have to go into detail even. Just ask for God's blessing and God's prayer. And so we would love to pray for you. And before Before we have this time of prayer and before we go into a little season of worship and response with the tables, I'd like you to see this video that helps us to once again remember it's all about Jesus and the cross, not what we do, but what he's done so that we can be such worse some of you who have been changed by the power of Christ. So take a watch and then afterwards, let's go to worship and prayer before Jesus Christ. Now every one of us knows that there's something wrong inside. We have a tendency within us that disturbs us. We long for victory over sin, sins of thought and word and deed. And the Bible reveals that we are born radically wrong. We are members of a human race that has turned its back upon God. There's something inside that makes it easier to go wrong than to go right. And some deep evil seems to sap the human race. There's a bias in the bowl that takes it off course. There's a gravity that pulls us down when we want to rise high in spiritual attainment. And the secret is that something within us has died. The spiritual part of our being that God gave us has died because of sin. This is the reason why we can neither see nor enter the kingdom of heaven unless there is a radical change. And here is a great revelation from Holy Scripture, and we also know it in our own experience, that we cannot make this radical change ourselves, that God says you must have, you must know, you must experience if you are ever to see or enter the kingdom of heaven. Why the cross? Because on the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ was made sin for you. He bore your sin, sir, in his body on the tree. He was the only man who ever went through hell on earth. And he did it for you, to cleanse you from the stain of sin, to deliver you from the power of sin, to clear you from the penalty of sin, so that there could be nothing between you and God. Christ Jesus bore your sin in his body on the tree. So, ladies and gentlemen, we come to this great conclusion tonight, that unless God is willing to do something about it, we are sunk. And there is no hope of us ever entering or seeing the kingdom of heaven. But here is the Christian gospel, ladies and gentlemen. Here is the good news that God loves us. Because he loves us, he's willing, he's yearning 
to undertake this great change for us, only we are willing. And because Christ has died and risen again, I have wonderful news for you here tonight. Hundreds of you here yearn to know what it is to be in the kingdom of God. Hundreds of you want to know the victory that God gives to those that belong to Christ. If you will repent, believe and confess, God will do the rest. He will come into your cleansed being that he now possesses, and he will live his life in you. He will give you eternal life, divine life. Right now you will enter the kingdom of heaven, and you will live in the kingdom of heaven whilst you're on earth.